I, I didn't lie to you. So, Amanda, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your story, uh, how you came out of what you did and what you're doing now. Sure. So I'm Amanda Katarzy, the Amanda, not Amy. Uh, and I'm a survivor of sex and labor trafficking domestically here in the States. Um, and once I was able to escape my trafficker and get into therapy, I started to become an advocate for women, children, men in sex trafficking. So I've worked in Myanmar, I've worked in Bangkok, Thailand, I've worked in Tijuana, I've worked with New Zealand government, as well as working with uh, American government, writing legislation, doing undercover uh, anti-sex trafficking stings. Uh, and I've been an educator for first responders, uh, doctors, ER nurses. Um, I've taught children from kindergarten to 12th grade about sex trafficking and how to get out of it and see it and fend for themselves. And I've also done uh, like uh, recovery classes for sex offenders in inside detention centers who want okay, to turn so their life around. So let me ask a little bit of, of questions on your background. So you said domestically. Can you give a, a region of the country where you were? California. Where so I was trafficked in California. I'm from Florida, but um, I ended up in California doing some school and uh, just got caught up in it all. Uh, so you say doing school, you're talking college, correct? Yes, sir. So you, so this is later, not later in life, but in midlife for you where you, you've been through, through high school, you're out in college. So mm -hmm. how did that happen? Like if you were teaching someone, another woman about the signs to look for, for college age women. So- this happened to you while you were in college. So mm -hmm. what what should they look out for in college? Well, first off, um, I was raised in a cult that kind of set me up for failure uh, later on in life. So in my personal experience and in my experience in working with survivors, most, most people experience some sort of sexual abuse in their childhood that is never talked about, that is never brought up, that is never get therapy or counseling or healing around and they stuff it. And later on in life, it resurfaces one way or another. So I had childhood sexual trauma. I was molested by my neighbor. I was raised in this cult that broke down the barriers of sexual relationships and proper relationships between men and women. So I was prime for the picking when I met my trafficker. I had no idea who I was. This is my first time away from the cult, away from home. Uh, I was very naive, had no opinions. Like I said, all my boundaries had been eroded away and I was lonely and I was insecure. So when I met my trafficker, he knew exactly what he was doing. And I, I was, like I said, prime for the picking. I was easy to snatch up because I was so lonely and desperate to find love and acceptance that he stepped into that boyfriend role, but quickly turned it into something um, way more malicious. No, see, that's what I was trying to get at. So, so for you, it was, he was actually your boyfriend at the time mm -hmm. or pretending, yes. to be, pretending to be your boyfriend at the time. So we, we see that all the time, especially with kids online, um, is that this person enters in as a boyfriend um, or as a love interest and will groom the child, groom the individual, the person to believe that this person cares about you and you guys are in it and, and um, they understand your pains and your hurts like nobody else understands you. And then they're going to offer you 
a way out of your bad situation or away from the parents you hate or whatever that may be. They're going to leverage that emotional currency there and use it against you to get you isolated. And then once they have you isolated, they can manipulate you anyway. Because like once you make that first step into that relationship, that deeper relationship with them, they now have the ability to leverage you because you're invested in a certain way. Um, and so that's how it starts to escalate. So so would you say you were targeted or this was happenstance? I was definitely targeted. I was not the first woman he has done this to. Really? Mm-hmm. So there were, you, there were two other women. So if you had to, what's the signs? Like if you're being targeted, what are the signs you need to look for outside of your, your particular, no, being lonely and, and, and your particular baggage, is there mm-hmm. any signs that someone can say, okay, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Like this guy just happened to be in my life. Yeah, I would say it's very typical of any sort of abusive relationship. The beginning signs are narcissistic behavior, very controlling behavior. If they don't let you have a cell phone, if they are insanely jealous um, to where they don't want you around other people, they don't want you talking to other people, they need to know where are you at all the time, where are you going, who are you with, what are you doing, don't wear that, wear this, don't eat that, eat this. They start to break down all these barriers to where they're controlling every single piece of your life until they find something that's really your pain point and again use that against you um so uh, that very severe controlling that narcissistic behavior uh rage so they'll use you know very kind very uh generous and then all of a sudden they'll flip and they'll beat the crap out of you um you see these very like bipolar almost emotions that they take you through. And that's to set up this emotional dependency. So even when it's really bad, you know, it's going to get really good. And so you're just trying to get back to that really good because they don't make sense together. So you're trying to make it make sense. So now you're even more invested in making the relationship work because you're trying to get it good again, because you know how good it can be. So, so basically it starts off as the emotional and, uh, intellectual abuse, mm-hmm. uh, until the, the, the person feels comfortable enough to cross that line into physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Once, once they know that you will put up with verbal mental abuse, then they know they have you. But how does it get from now we're taking from stages, so it doesn't start off from day one that you're being trafficked. From day one, mm-hmm. they got to get earn your trust, right? They got to mm-hmm. build you up, unless you've been kidnapped, correct? I mean, at that point, you're- yeah, which is about one to two percent of actual human trafficking situations. Okay, so we're gonna so maybe right here before we get, I asked this question on the on the on the road pathway to it. Let's define human trafficking and the different breakdowns. So. You're talking about human trafficking at a level where it's your significant other, you know, comes into your life and you ain't, you know, like you said, you weren't the first victim. So what percentage of the population that's human trafficked is that is that way? So human trafficking can cover a lot of things. So human trafficking can be labor trafficking. It can be sex trafficking. It could be um, where they're bringing people over from different countries and they're taking their visas and saying you have to work off your debt now. It can look like a lot of different things. Um, what I'm particularly talking about is sex trafficking. So sex trafficking is defined um, by federal law as any sex act in exchange for something of value 
And for adults, you have to have fraud, force, or coercion in that mix. For children, you don't have to have fraud, force, or coercion to name it sex trafficking because children cannot consent. So any child who is forced into a sex act and receives something of value in exchange for that sex act, they're being sex trafficked. They're a victim automatically. Um, and again, well, that's that's peculiar because I know you talked a second ago and we've talked before that you talk about um, helping create laws. And you said you were actually out in California. Well, California has recently passed some really crazy laws when it comes to minors and sex, right? Yeah. And it's I guess terrifying. maybe we save we save that for later because, um, but that is when they pass that law. And let's just say it for what it is: it's an adult can have consensual sodomy sex with a minor of fourteen, fifteen years old, and, and nothing can be done about it. How who passes a law like that? That is absolutely crazy in the time where I thought we got to a point where um, you don't touch children, you don't you don't involve children. If adults want to make consenting choices, whether they're bad choices, it's it's adults mm -hmm. making their educated choices, right? And they're free to do so, but children aren't. So um, yeah. I'll, I'll probably touch upon the law with you since you write laws and get your opinion on that in a second. So sure. we went from emotional uh, and mental abuse to physical abuse. Now, how does that step into the next phase, which is sexual abuse? So once they know that they can hit you or become violent with you and you will still stay with them, um, and they'll go back and forth between being terrible and being, you know, super generous and loving. There's that constant roller coaster happening. So you don't really know what's going to come next. So it keeps you unhinged. It keeps your barriers you know, kind of scattered. There's no like recouping and building up a defense against them, if that makes sense. Um, so then once it goes from violent, then these suggestions start coming through of like, baby, I know that um, we're really trying to make a life together and I want to have a family with you, but we need this money in order for us to make our dreams come true and really for us to be together and blah, 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 blah. All you got to do is do this sex act. All you got to do is, you know, video, have a videotape while we have sex, or all you've got to do is take these pictures um, and I'll take them and they'll be fine and I'll handle it all. Don't you worry about it. But I just really need you to do this for us. You know, I'm working hard all the time. I need you to do this for us. So you said, pointed out earlier, though, the kidnapping part of it that everyone likes to put on TV. Hollywood is phenomenally known for doing that, right? It's mm -hmm. every time you see a human trafficking, it's they've been kidnapped, they've been drugged, they've been this. But that's, you said, is one to two percent. What nice. if you had to categorize sex trafficking, what is the majority of sex trafficking? What does that look like? It looks like mental, mental uh bondage. <laughs> it's all in the head. It's brainwashing. It's emotional manipulation. Some people don't even know they're being trafficked. And that goes to the kids. That's okay. when you see okay. the Okay. I was going to say it's, yeah, it's going to be kind of hard to say adults don't understand what's going on. But if you send your significant other, your boyfriend who you're dating online, a nude, you have no idea what that person's doing with that photo. They could be selling that. They could be redistributing that. And now that's sex trafficking because they're exchanging a sexual photo of you for something of value. So a lot of people don't even know that their, their picture is being sold, that their child's pictures are being sold. 
No, I, I could definitely, I could definitely see where the child is is definitely the issue. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's not an issue for for adults either. But in some action, in some instances, though, if I was to send my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time, um, a nude of myself or whatever have you, um, that's me consensually giving out that picture. I mean, at some point, sure, so, but you're not consenting for everybody in the world to see it. No, but don't. That's where I'm trying to figure. I'm not saying it's right. What I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm right. just putting putting this information out there because some people are going to think like, yes, but you consensually, di- not knowing what's going to happen, sure, but you know there's a risk, right? Right. I just don't think people will normally think that far and people don't think that far. So revenge porn is something that's super common in our society. It's super common in middle school, high schools. So let's talk about that since you brought up revenge porn. So revenge porn is technically um, human trafficking, right? Because you're saying mm-hmm. they're getting something for something, right? Mm-hmm. So explain how, how that works and, and how the law protects someone from that. Yeah. So certain states actually have specific laws about revenge porn, um, very specifically. But it does fall into the sex trafficking category because, like we just discussed, that if you consent to give – somebody a picture you're giving for that person for just them um when it becomes sex trafficking is when it's distributed for something of value so like they sell it they put it on porn hub they do whatever um and children middle schoolers and high schoolers will use this as a means to recruit and manipulate each other um so if a young girl takes a picture of herself because her new boyfriend is pressuring her and telling her oh my god you're so beautiful you're so sexy send me a picture of your boobs she does it and now this person who we don't really know who this person is he says he's cody and he's 14 and he's online but we really have no idea who he is he has that picture and he says if you don't send me more i'm gonna post this on facebook for all your friends to see i'm gonna make sure your mom and dad see this Um, And that's when it turns nefarious. And we see that happen all the time in the online community. But we also do see it in uh, like peer groups within schools. So it's really hard to stamp those things out once they are in the hands of the wrong people. Now it's through, you can't stop kids from texting. But if a child was caught distributing porn of another minor, that child's going to be charged with sex trafficking. Really? Mm-hmm. They will, they will, it'll be sex offender and it will be on them as a minor when they become an adult that all those cases are sealed, at least in Florida. So you don't get to see those moving forward as an adult. So they could have a sex offender history as a minor, which is really interesting to get into the psychology behind all that. But um, as an adult, that won't follow them. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit hole just yet because that that opens up so many possibilities and so many what ifs. And mm-hmm. I, honestly, I could see where that could be a case by case basis where one person doesn't realize what they're doing. What they're doing because, like you said, you grew up in a certain way that you didn't realize mm-hmm. certain things were actually wrong. You know, it, right? You, as an adult, you know right from wrong because you're away from that right. that um, that culture, but. If you're stuck in that culture, your definition of right and wrong might be different. Exactly. But if you but if you weren't raised in that culture and you mm-hmm. definitely know right and wrong and you're still doing it, I can see like I said, I can see where this may be a case by case basis. So I don't want right. to hop on that and and be judgmental. Right. Um, no, I totally agree. My my trafficker, he was raised in an environment where he was raped as a child. 
And so he was raised in an atmosphere to where he could either choose to continue to be a victim and become victimized, or he could take control and become the abuser. So oftentimes when people aren't offered a third option of mental health, of therapy, of, you know, resources like that, they either continue the cycle of victimhood or they step into the role of the abuser. Um, so that's, I believe if he had never experienced that, if someone had intervened in his life at some point and offered him therapy, he might have turned out to be a completely different person. That's not to say what he did was okay. Well, no, but- I'm, just, I'm just, I mean, coming from you, that's a, that's a big statement because again, this is your, your abuser. This is your person mm-hmm. who, who turned you into a victim. And I'm saying turned you into a victim because he spent the time grooming you for that. So, yes. um, that's, that's a bold statement for you to make to sit there and say that, Yes, it's wrong, but um, I, c- I can see why. And that's, I think that shows a lot about you. I don't know if I could ever get there, but <laughs> uh, one of the questions I did bring up when we first started talking, though, and we haven't touched on it yet, is let's talk gender and, and uh, sex human trafficking. What's, uh, is, there, is there a gender thing? Like I, When I originally was talking to you, I assume most people, and I still believe most people, assume sex trafficking is mainly man-on-woman situation. I'm not saying minor. I'm just saying man to woman. So mm-hmm. let's start off with adults. So what is the ratio of human trafficking tra- trafficking gender-wise? Sure. Um, the last stats that I saw of the last you know study that they did was 30, 30% male and 70% female. However, we, what we really need to look at is how much do men actually disclose So we are not in a culture where men will speak up and say, hey, I'm being victimized. I'm being sex trafficked. Like if a man came to you and said, I'm being sex trafficked. What? Like that's kind (laughs) of right. That's like, what in the world are you talking about? Like there's no way. But when we break down, which we have, what sex trafficking is, is actually brainwashing. It's actually mental entrapment and manipulation. Anybody can be manipulated. Um, we just have this idea around what a man can and cannot do, what he can and cannot, the situations he can be in. A man 100% can be abused. A man 100% can experience domestic violence from his female partner. Um, so, yes. Well, I, think men that, I, think tra- that's more, I think that's more now in our generation than it was mm-hmm. pre- in probably previous generations. And I'm not going to say it's because of the feminist movement or anything like that, because the feminist movement has been around since like 1920 or whatever it was when it first first started. Um, but I do think that there was is, is a boldness in people today that didn't maybe wasn't there in the 40s and 50s. And I also think totally. that there's um, an identity crisis within the United States and its population. Like, as you know, when we got totally rid of, when we got rid of roles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no one knows when they get into a marriage or a relationship what they're really supposed to do anymore. It used to be very defined. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying, though, it, it, gave, it gave guidance. So even if you're not – like I'm agnostic now. I used, like I said, I used to be Catholic. I'm agnostic now. But I still think the Bible is good for guidance, right, on morals. It's good for guidance. And I think, you know, when we had – some form of identity gender wise to a degree, it gave us some type of guideline of 
what we're supposed to do and act. As a man, you're supposed to take care of your wife. You're supposed to take care of your family. You're supposed to treat them good. You're supposed to do certain things, right? I mean, yeah. that was the role of a man, mm-hmm. right? Is you're, you're the protector, you're the provider. You need to do all these right things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as roles got kind of blurred, I, I think it became, it's okay to be anything you want and act any way you want. And that's not totally true. You still have to be very good to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I tell my wife, you, you're not my, like, we fell back into traditional roles, but it's just me and my wife. Right. So she doesn't need to work if she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Just that's, that's her call. Sure. But um, I don't stop her. She can do whatever she wants. She has in the past. She's done something that because she felt bored, she didn't want to be home anymore. But um, again, I think it's based on choice. But still, when I look at her, she's my partner. And I think, you no, know, we have to have some type of guidance mm-hmm. or guidelines to make human interaction moral again. It doesn't have to be religion, but there definitely has to be some morals in there because I think right. we got away from that. I think Hollywood and the media played a big big role in that. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> right. So let's talk about human trafficking and as, as you see it. And I want to talk about Hollywood for a second, right? So you deal with this, right? You go all over the place dealing with this, like you said. Mm-hmm. Hollywood in some ways glorifies this, right? Yeah. Well, and it turns it into this thing that cannot be happening here. That cannot be happening in suburbia or to anyone that I know when, in fact, it's probably happening to one of your children's friends or one of your neighbors. The statistics show it's the second most illegal enterprise in America. So it goes drugs, sex trafficking, and illegal weapons. Really? Yep. Really? (laughs) And nobody okay, well, knows I, that. I would have said number three, maybe. No, drugs and weapons are pretty high on the, on the scale. You know what I mean? Yeah, and talked about all the time on the media. However, you rarely see sex trafficking tackled by mainstream media unless there's something crazy like Epstein or something just wild going on. Um, but uh, it is, it's active. It includes men, women, children, all races, um, all genders, the LGBTQ community actually does a lot of sex trafficking within their group. So they don't go outside their group, but they trade. There's a lot of that, that trading going on. So let's talk about it as culturally, right? Let's talk about culturally and we'll include LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ in there is a culture, right? Because it technically is a subculture. It doesn't matter what color sure. your skin is, it's a subculture. So let's talk as a culture. Is there one culture more prone to be trafficked and one more one culture more prone to traffic? So you're going to see Caucasians being trafficked. You're going to see them. Um, so this has been interesting because this has been one of the difficulties in my trying to educate and trying to do undercover operations for sex trafficking, because obviously I'm a Caucasian female. I can sometimes pass for a Latino girl because I've got dark hair, I'm Italian, I've got my you know Latin queen statue going on there. Um, so I have been able to infiltrate, but because <laughs> white people don't really care about each other. We don't have communities, like honestly, whereas Latino cultures and African-American cultures have a strong cultural community. They have strong family roots. They all take care of each other. So what we see happening in those communities are interfamilial trafficking 
to where a parent will traffic a child to their drug dealer, or, you know, uh, they'll have a particular person that they all gang up on and they all traffic, but within their community. So you're not going to see a Caucasian girl more out in the open. I mean, I'm sorry, an African-American girl or a Latino girl being trafficked more out in the open where you would see uh, Caucasian females trafficked out in the open all the time. You know, I could walk down, uh, you know, 441, which is like our, you know, street for that. Um, and so I also refer to prostitution as sex trafficking, because in my mind, there is no difference. And people disagree with me on that all the time. That's totally fine. We can get into the nitty gritty of that. I don't but, want to um, know if we want to get in the nitty gritty, but let, let's, let's, I mean, you brought it up. So first, that'll be the next one. So let's finish up. So Caucasians yeah. are typically the ones trafficked, but I, yes. are they also primarily the traffickers? Um, yes and no. So traffickers can look like a lot of different things. They can look like your youth pastor. They can look like, you know, a thug kind of person that you would like imagine would be a trafficker thanks to media. Um, it can be a female as well. We've had a lot of madams with that they're called to that traffic females, other females. So that's super common as well. We see that more so in like the nail industry. So we see that in like the massage parlors where there's happy endings and you've got girls traffics from different countries. A lot of times there's a madame running those. Um, but the majority, it's very well mixed from old guys to young guys. And the same with the Johns. The Johns are all over the place, male, female, all different ages, all different socioeconomical backgrounds. I mean, it runs the gamut. Okay, so let's now go into the other topic. Let's talk about that because you said that you know. Prostitution. Get in, I don't. I don't want to get into nitty gritty, but sure. Okay, so I understand if, and this is this is the question. It's not. It's not me under. I mean, rephrase. It's not me understanding, and it's good. It's mm-hmm. I can understand the difference between maybe someone who's got a pimp and forced to be on the street or whatever have you, but. Then there's these women that make the choice themselves, mm-hmm. right? And and I've been trying to read up on this a little bit before I talk to you, but I don't want to get so far in that yeah. I'm trying to match you for an education and when you're supposed to be teaching me and teaching the audience. So um, how do you how do you separate that? I mean, if a woman does it to herself, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's kind of like, is it trafficking? Sure. So we have to go to the roots of trafficking every single time. Um, And so like me and like most all the survivors I've worked with have a history of childhood sexual trauma that leads them and rises up later in their life and leads them to this place where they don't have the correct boundaries or the healthy um, cycles and rules and morals around what love and what a sexual relationship is supposed to look like, what a healthy thriving one is to look like. Um, well, I'm so, going to stop you there because depending on what you watch and what you do, that's that's a broad range. I don't care what anyone wants to say. You right. look at movies and Hollywood and media today. I mean, it could be everything from being a prude to, you know, you got a full-fledged circus in your bedroom. Which is fine as long as it's consensual. But then we have to look at what does consensual mean? And I'm not going like, oh, he looked at me weird he raped me. That's not where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is if this woman says, I want to be out here selling my body for sex, why does she, what brought her to that decision? 
did she have the option to be go get school and go education and become, you know, a veterinarian or, you know, a fashion lady or a businesswoman? Did she have those opportunities or did her life give her this as the only option to become the victim or abuser, much like my family? We have to really take a step back. What was her childhood like? How did her father treat her? Did she have a mother or father who raised her? And then we can really look at, was this really a choice? Or was she positioned as this is what she believed all that she was good for in her only option? Is it consensual at that point? And I know we're in some really great areas here. No, I'm glad because I want to have these conversations. It's one of the reasons why I have... You know, people yeah. like you come on and have tough conversations. It's not that I believe one way or the other. I'm trying to mm-hmm. get the information out. I just don't want people to think I look at it one way or the other when it needs to be talked about. And that's part right. of the problem is most people don't even want to take that first step and have an actual conversation and, and explore mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all mm-hmm. we're doing is exploring it and let people choose for themselves. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I 100% agree, well, the way they were raised and had no choice. I mean, as an adult, like for you – you were groomed, you caught, you were groomed after you left the cult, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point you figured out it was wrong. Sure. Right. Yep. As an adult, you were, you were exposed to a lot more experiences than you were as a child, right? Mm-hmm. Outside influences, experiences, et cetera, to figure out right from wrong and, and whatnot have you, or get help. No. And, and to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, it's the same as someone who just says, you know what, this is what I want to do, you know? And there is about 2% of individuals that we encountered that they were raised with every opportunity. They had good parents, life like gave them all the options and they chose this. There is a very small margin of women, men that choose that. And if that's their choice, more power to them. I mean, I would contest that there's something <laughs> going on in the background that they're not willing to talk about. Yeah. Um, because I, I mean, in 10 years of working in this area, that's what 10 years has told me. Um, and so if, if they don't have a choice, how can they make a choice? If they don't have options, how can they make a choice? That's, that's where I'm at with that. And I, again, I know that that's me pushing on some boundaries there. No, it's, um, it's, a, it's, but, it's a good, listen, but here's the thing though. It's not that no one can question you, right? I mean, we're not saying that you're not willing to have the questions asked and give an answer and you stand by your answers, right? Right. But let's face it. I haven't had that experience and most people in the world haven't had that experience. They just mm-hmm. don't. So let's talk about the normal experience. So um, let's, let's talk about porn in general, right? So porn in general is a very broad term. Mm-hmm. Um, it is out there. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Yes. It's a beast of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. and some, some people go to it for choice because it's quick, fast money, um, and whatnot have you. They may not know what they're getting into. Um, but they, they choose it. Um, and, and, uh, sometimes, you know, so, Let's look at porn. So we're, we're not going to say there's no porn outside of child porn that's bad because everything between adults should be consensual, right? Should be. But people who watch porn don't understand what could be human trafficking, right? Not a 
not a consensual mm-hmm. situation. So let's talk about porn and, and the porn industry and how you perceive it for sure. working in it and combating it, right? Right. So let's talk about the everyday person. So they watch porn. What's good? What's bad? <laughs> well, I think, again, you have to step outside that frame. So you have to recognize that what you're seeing is acting, even though it's if it's very bad acting, it's <laughs> acting, right? right? And you have to zoom and you have to step outside that frame. What is happening outside that frame? What's happening before that cut in that scene? What's happening after that cut and scene? You have no idea. So is this woman or man being paid appropriately? Are they being blackmailed into this situation? Is food being withheld from them? Are they, did they show up for one thing and are now being told they have to do something else, which happens all the time. There are, I think about five different documentaries for after porn. It's good. They're called like after porn. And it's these, I think women. I saw that on Netflix once that, that was it's there. Amazing. Yeah. It's pretty raw. It's pretty brutal. Um, because life after porn for a, someone who was, who's been in the industry is quite horrific. Um, and the stuff that they endure, whether it be they consented to this, they consented to, let's say, oral sex. And now they show up and, oh, well, we're going to do anal. And now, like, you're here. So do you want the money or not? Like, so is that fraud? But to is that to me, that's, that that's like a no-brainer, like, no, that's not what we contracted for, right? Because you have a healthy mentality. You have the boundaries, you have the willpower, but if you've been abused your whole life or even a little bit, or if you've had a. Oh, she cut out for a second. Just so everyone knows, Amanda is uh, in Florida and they're currently going through a tropical storm. So let's see if we get her back. Can you hear me now? You got me? Oh, okay. So I I was saying- you were. And I'm like, well, we were talking about oral and anal sex. I said, when she comes back, it's going to be quite a, a topic to jump back into, right? <laughs> so, I'm so, so sorry. I'm on my phone now. So if the power goes out um, because of this hurricane, it should just keep rolling. So That's okay. It's okay. I just I edited saying, hey, listen, Amanda, if we're going to see if we get her back. So I'll edit out the middle section of the wait time and we'll go back <laughs> into it and We'll have this conversation we're having now and we'll just roll with it, right? Because, okay. Yeah. So, all right. So they show up for one thing. They they, they ask for another. I say that mm-hmm. they're adults and they should know better. And you're saying. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been set up to know better, then how would you know better? If right. you haven't, if you haven't had been taught how to communicate bravely and how to stand up for yourself, maybe you've been abused a little bit, which, you know, my work indicates that there's probably is some sort of sexual abuse that happened in your childhood to lead you to these decisions and to this point that you're not going to be able to say no. You don't have those boundaries. You don't have those communication skills. Otherwise, where, why would you be in this situation? You don't know if she's being starved or not. You don't know when she ate last. You do crazy things when you're hungry. You do crazy things when you're in survival mode and desperate. I've been there. I can tell you. you know? No, like, no, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disputing. I'm not trying to dispute your your credibility on that topic. I'm just trying to yeah. figure out if you're showing up for porn shoots. That at some point, you know, you you should know that. Okay, it, you know, mm-hmm. boom. Or I'm a contract guy for business. I, I'd be like, we got to renegotiate this contract, bro. You got to be hundred percent. You know, you got to be 
you know, I, if I say yes, what am I getting for it? Because this is the negotiation. You're asking me to do a favor mm -hmm. for something, mm -hmm. and this is the industry. So what are we doing here? And, so, And that's where we see like a Harvey Weinstein kind of situation of women have always been sexualized. They've always been pinned as the weaker and, you know, without any word for themselves. So they're promised, okay, if you do this, you will get ahead in the industry. Or if you do this, then I've got this big job for you that pays and you just got to suck it up and deal with this situation to get you to the next one. That's coercion. Um, and that's what we saw in a lot of the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Should those women have known, known better? Okay, well, should she have worn a different dress and that's why she got raped? Like that leads to that whole conversation. Uh, well, you know, we're not, we're not talking about actresses here. We're talking about porn actresses, right? And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the female gender for the longest time didn't get the raw deal. But mm -hmm. I mean, we're in a society today where there's more females in college than there are males. There, mm -hmm. Females are getting paid more than males. We're in a society that is no longer being dictated by those terms, right? Um, it's kind of been a, a reverse role situation here in a lot of aspects. So I, I'm not going to sit there and say old, old cliches or stereotypes are the norm anymore. And that's why I want to have a conversation with you because we're in a totally different time. Society mm -hmm. is moving at a much faster pace than it ever has, right? I mean, truly, like I got my new iPhone coming on, on Friday. I've only had this phone for two years. I can't even use all the power I have in the current phone. But because I don't want to pay the leasing fee on an old phone that would remain the same and it's old, I might as well pay the money on a new phone, right? I mean, it's like I just can't see today how society is changing so fast and, and women have a lot more power than they mm -hmm. used to. And, and it's good. It's not saying it's bad. It's good. But there's a, also a culture out there with women that choose to sexualize themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they choose to get ahead. And it's like, how do you differentiate like in porn? Like we started here with this conversation with porn. So what, how can you tell good porn from what I would say bad porn, someone possibly being trafficked? How do you tell that difference? I, I, I don't have the answer for that. As far as porn goes, I would suggest staying away from any amateur stuff. Um, I would su suggest staying away from any Barely teen, barely legal, Lolita, hashtag, you know, schoolgirl, or any of those kind of fresh meat hashtags or phrases that insinuate that the girl is younger because you don't know if she's a teenager or not. You don't know. Um, so 80% of the survivors from sex trafficking that I work with said they made porn. They were forced to make porn while being trafficked. If you do the numbers, it turns out to be about 40-ish percent of porn, therefore, is non-consensual and is actually rape. But you're saying the porn that we're that you're talking about, though, is the most likely culprits. It's the amateur. It's the stuff that is not what we would consider professionally shot. Sure. I mean, because if mean, you're, there's really I'm not, no. I'm just, way I'm just to asking. Really that, but yeah. No, no, I'm just asking. I'm, I'm not saying. 100%. But I'm saying if you're yeah. on if you're on your phone or you're on your computer mm -hmm. and you're mm -hmm. happen to be watching porn whether you're a male or female at this point it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you're watching something that would be considered I would say non-professional like you know it's not being shot in a studio right. or right. or somewhere where someone's spending money to actually make a production. 
you mm-hmm. have a more likely chance of Definitely. watching someone who's being trafficked. Yes. That's what I'm trying to get you to say. Not yeah. not that it's 100%. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. It's right. not that it's a, no, they're 100% safe. But mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about things to look out for, because a lot of people who watch porn may not know that they're helping perpetuate that industry, right? I mean, they don't know better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you have you have a job talking about this because most people don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what, when I go into high schools and would teach the kids there about trafficking, we would have a conversation about porn and be like, listen, I'm not going to come in and say it's right or wrong. I have my own personal beliefs about that. But you do have to take in consideration that you're possibly getting off to a rape. And do you, how do you feel about that? And they were like, whoa, like that's a thought that they never even considered. Uh, so I think it's definitely a conversation worth having. It's something worth thinking about. Like, do you, what, what is it worth to you? You know, um, because there is a very good possibility that the porn you're watching is someone being raped you know, as someone being violated and sex trafficked and that's somebody's daughter and that's somebody's child and that's somebody's sister and friend. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to get into a conversation whether porn's good or bad, but like, let's just try to make sure we're meeting those needs, those sexual needs in a healthy way, in the most healthy, functional way. Well, um, and I actually, sorry, go ahead. No, I'll just sit there and say, I don't think me and you could ever really say that porn's ever going to go away because you can go back to Romans and Greeks and whatever have you. I mean, look at some of their statues mm-hmm. and paintings and things of that nature. I mean, yeah, it wasn't like definitely. it wasn't like something that happened in the 60s and 70s with the invention of the camera. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, last 60 years we got porn. I mean, this has been around yeah. for a long time. I just want to look at it from what's healthy and not healthy, what is mm-hmm. respectable and not respectable. Right. I mean, that's really right. what we're talking about here. Right. So yeah. what about it definitely drives the sex trafficking industry. It's definitely considered a gateway drug, if you will, okay. um, because we've seen. So we've done um, the organization I used to work for. We, we would do a Super Bowl sting operations. So Super Bowl is a Super Bowl for sex trafficking. Um, any large event where people are coming from out of town into town looking for a good time, they're going to have money with them. They're going to be away from, you know, their normal responsibilities and their families, and they're more apt to engage in nefarious behaviors. So we see a huge rise in child sex trafficking and sex trafficking in general in those areas where those happen. That being said, um, there was a sting operation where uh, a young man Ubered to come have a threesome answered, but it was like a very nefarious sex trafficking situation. And he was aware of that. He was 14 years old. Really? And he had been watching. He, when asked why he decided to come do this is because he had been watching these pornographic abusive situations where there was like hardcore porn going on and he wanted to try it out. That's what he said. (sighs) So, that's where I start having an issue with a sexualized porn infused culture uh, where our children starting at seven years old to 12 years old is usually the first time they see porn um, and where it is created. These people know how to create this stuff to where it stimulates you 
and is addictive and it feels good. They know exactly what they're doing in the porn industry. Uh, so the fact that they're targeting younger and younger and abusing younger and younger definitely is alarming and is definitely a driving factor in sex trafficking industry. Now, see, I would have thought porn was a stepping stone. and I would have thought the gateway would have been something like stripping. Well, for the abused individual, yes. For the woman, like the woman who's being trafficked, maybe. But for the buyer, for the consumer, for the John, porn is. Because you start engaging and it's not enough after a while. You know, the normal stuff isn't enough. So you escalate it a little bit into something kind of weird. And you keep escalating, keep escalating until it's not enough. And you have to go act it out. And I mean, I don't have the stats on that. I'm just telling you what I've experienced in working these undercover operations and sting operations and whatnot. And that's been an overwhelmingly driving factor. I could see, I could see where that actually makes sense in a lot of ways. I mean, if you're, if you're getting a certain experience and it's no longer suiting your needs and you're looking for that next thing, it's pretty much like an adrenaline junkie at that point where, You need the next level. You need, you know, or or say a drug addict who's no longer capable of just staying on one drug. They're looking for the next better thing. So I I can see where the dopamine hit. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that, and I could understand that to to a degree. I just mm-hmm. can't understand everything, but I can understand that to a degree. That makes it more relatable, yeah. right? I mean, that's what we're trying to do here is get people to relate to the situation. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if you know, if when it comes to the actual buyer, sure. But um, what about the perfect person being trafficked? It doesn't start off in porn. It usually starts off how? Well, yeah, it usually starts off in um, like a relationship, like a ro- we call it a Romeo pimp is when they come in as a boyfriend and kind of woo you and then end up turning you out. Um, it happens as a gorilla pimp, which a gorilla pimp is like you – meet this person and they force you violently into this situation. So whether it's through drugs um, or some sort of addiction, uh, the usually if there's a woman becoming addicted to drugs, she's going to be trafficked at some point for those drugs. Um, so I've seen where women have been nurses at our local hospital, which is a prestigious hospital here, um, got hurt, was prescribed opiates, became addicted, and started getting those pills outside of a legal way, right? And became so ashamed that she was addicted to this, she never sought help. And next thing you know, she's selling her body for opiate. And these drug traffickers see this, and the, the, <laughs> the nefarious thing about trafficking a human being, so if I sold you some drugs, and I give you a bag of drugs, and I sell them to you, you pay me, I don't come back a week later or a couple hours later and say, hey, can I have that back? I need to sell it to somebody else. I can't resell it. Right. But you can sell a human being 30 to 40 times a day. No problem. So it's a much more lucrative enterprise than drug dealing. And so that's always most usually the drug dealer's goal is to get to that point to where they're running what's called a staple, a woman underneath them that they can pimp out. Because it's much more money. Oh, well, I, I know as a man, I ain't going 30, 40 times a day. I mean, that, that ain't <laughs> happening. I, I, I'd like to think yeah. I'm you know, average or better, but I can tell you right now, if someone wants to traffic me, you're out. I ain't doing 30, 40 times a day. You know? mm-hmm. And at that rate, the survival is about seven years. 
until seven you, years until you die of drug addiction or are murdered by a pimp or murdered by a John. Um, if you make it that long or you die of some sort of disease. So is seven years across the board, like across the board, that's like your expectancy once you get into this? That's the max. Yeah, that's the absolute max. So how long was it for you? Six months. Six months. And it must have felt like a lifetime. It 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 does. Like I look back at that time period and I'm like I have no it's just crazy to me. Um, I was definitely extremely manipulated in extremely bad mental headspace. Uh, and thank God this woman ran a light and totaled my truck and knocked me out. And when I came to, it was like coming out of water. I, I texted him and I said, uh, hey, I almost just died in a car accident because I almost did just die. And he said, is your face effed up? And I said, no. And he goes, well, you're still fuckable then. And at that moment, I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, what am I doing? Who am I? This isn't who I am. And I didn't know, oh my God, I mean, sex traffic. I didn't know. I was like, something isn't right. This isn't the life I want. I have to do something right now. And I knew that I only had a window of a, a window of time that I would have that much clarity of mind. And so I, I tried to commit suicide. Um, I woke up in a hospital because I was pretty much successful. Um, and then I bought a plane ticket the next day, uh, one way plane ticket and left my entire life. I left, I had a job, I was working I had an apartment, everything I owned, I left. I just left because I knew I had to get out. So starting, starting over and starting in. fresh, starting over and starting fresh helped you. Oh God. Yeah. I, I moved across the country. I moved back to Florida. I moved in with my parents. I was raging. I was an alcoholic. I had crazy amounts of PTSD, obviously. But you said you grew um, up in a cult. Why would you go back to your parents? Um, they were out of the cult. And my parents are pretty incredible people. They, they did their best with what they had. So they did better than their parents. Um, and like, obviously looking back, it's like, man, that was a really poor decision. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm just asking the question cause I got to, I'm writing no. down notes here. You, you specify cult and I'm sitting there going, so she left, she left one world that yeah. put her in that world to go yeah. back to that world. How does this well, happen? I had nowhere else to go, honestly, you know, like this is my first time away. So like, what do I do? Um, and when you act in fear over something you love, bad things are going to happen. So my parents acted in fear over their children and trying to provide them a different life than what they experienced. So my parents experienced, you know, carnival circus lifestyle. That's how my family got to America was through the circus. So they, they experienced this really violent, really dysfunctional life. And they wanted something very structured, very religious, very different than what they experienced. So they saw this happening. And they're like, yes, this looks like the different route we want our family to take. And so they did their very, very best. They're great humans. I love them. My relationship with them is amazing and reconciled. Um, but uh, it did take a lot of work. I will say that. <laughs> so, so six months. So what you said, seven years is the max. What is the average? Um. Well, it just depends if they get out. I mean, like a couple of years, two to three years is where I met most of my women because they, they end up going to jail for prostitution, right? Um, is where I encountered a lot of my women or there was a trafficking sting. 
So um, there's a lot of rehabilitation that has to happen at that point in order for someone to be successful. A lot. You have to rebuild them from the bottom up. Um, Cause like, right. Those boundaries are non-existent. Those healthy normals are non-existent. So you have to just dial everything back and start from the very beginning again about what healthy boundaries look like, what relationships should look like, how to communicate properly with another person, how to not fight with the girl next to you because you've been pinned against her in competition by your friends for the past two or three years. So you not only do you hate men, you also hate women and try to fight every single one of them, right? So you have to reconstruct all of their interactions with the world again. And it's a lot, a lot of work, but it can be done. <laughs> okay. So before we move on to how to spot someone or things of that nature or offer help, before we get there. So let's go. We talked about the porn industry as in filmmaking, but um, just just to browse over a couple other industries. So stripping. Is stripping a big human trafficking section? Sure. It's, it's definitely, like you said, it's a very much a gateway um, into sex trafficking because you start to break down those normal boundaries that are generally exist in a in a healthy upbringing right mm-hmm. you're not supposed to take off your clothes for people you don't know um and so when you put yourself into that position you're you're starting to enter into that grooming process so i guess the question comes down to in normal society and i'm not talking like underground stuff or or, or anything like that nature so in normal society just it's going to be very hard to spot right what is going on if something is going on because you just don't know because people aren't going to ask you for help. I mean, they're mm-hmm. for the most part, right? I mean, women don't ask for the help either. You say men, but I'm sure there's a lot of women who just won't, won't ask. Yeah. Right? right. So you don't right. know. So I guess there's no way to sit there and say, what is a healthy sexual lifestyle per se, when it comes to porn and, and all these other industries, because you just can't tell what's going on. I'm talking outside of children, obviously anything right, where right, a right. child of any age, even teenage, I don't care if they're 19, whatever, if they're, if they're not of what I would call owning a gun age, you know, drinking age, <laughs> um, you are susceptible to doing a lot of stupid stuff. And even in 23, 24 and 25, you're still susceptible to doing a lot of a lot of stupid stuff and we all know it, but you're hopefully less susceptible at that point. Right. So yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. So what, and I know you're biased, but what is considered healthy? I mean, you're every single person is going to have that definition for sure. And I know you're biased. I, I get that. And I know things hit you much, much differently and much, much personally. So let's put it this way. I I don't want to know his name or anything like that, her name, whatever. But you obviously are in a relationship at some point after this all happened. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So you have an idea of what is healthy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not asking for particular acts. I'm asking what is considered healthy. Right? Because, I mean. Right. Well, I I think it's that equality thing. Like you have to have equal say, you have to have equal weight in your relationship. There has to be a give and a take. Um, and you both need to be able to have the opportunity to say yes and say no to things without, you know, any neg- negative consequences. Uh, as far as, you know, inciting a violent or controlling, you know, reaction from your partner. 
right? Because like all of our choices have consequences no matter what. And I'm not talking about those kind of consequences. I'm talking about if I don't want to have sex, that shouldn't be an issue. You know, I should be able to say that in a relationship, right? And same with my partner. I think early on in relationships, I think we all feel the pressure that we need to perform at some point, right? I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's the courting period. Everyone wants to have all the fun and excitement. Hormones are going crazy, right? You got all the sensations going, but no, years down the road, you you know, you got to make sure it's healthy, in my mind, healthy enough to where you can just Mm -hmm. be you and and know that person is going to be there, right? But I can look at my wife and look at something that's pornographic go babe you got to look at this i can't believe this this is oh my god you know what i mean now i'm not saying you can or cannot i know you say you've come to terms with a lot of stuff but what is healthy and what's not healthy being able to share with your partner i would imagine is healthy but you would probably oh, yeah. be skewered into thinking that everything you're looking at is probably not good right right so i would rather err on the side of being a little bit more conservative in those areas than err on the side of aiding an oppressor or an abuser. So, and that's just my choice. And I understand that that's not everybody's choice, but that's definitely a stance I take for myself. Right. Um, I, I do not impose those beliefs on my partner or anybody else for that matter. I'm well, simply here to educate. Wait, wait a minute here. We both know that if you, with your background and you leaning a little bit more conservative after everything you've experienced, I'm sure your partner can't come to you and go, sweetheart, look at this. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my. He actually has. Has he? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's weird. Because <laughs> yeah. I would be looking at you like, like, you you want to take his head off, right? I mean, no. no. I mean, like, I guess, I mean, like, people are people, and they're gonna do what they're gonna do. Like, our relationship is at a place to where there's total trust and respect, and he knows my whole story. I've told him um, some, and he's circled back around and been like, "Hey, is this like, are you projecting right now?" You know, we've had to have those conversations. I've been married a year and a half now. Um, I've been with him for seven years. Uh, so he like, he met me like basically right after this all happened. And in the very beginning, it wasn't healthy because I was totally codependent. I was totally unhealthy. I was totally raging, but thank God we were able to grow together and find our own healing separately and then together as a couple. So like, I am so, so grateful. He is such a gracious man and he's such an incredible human being. Like I can't say enough good about him. I, I love him so much. But we've had to wade through some hard stuff because life still happens. And as much therapy as I've received, as much like goodness as I've received, um, life still happens and things still come up, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to start a family right now. And I've had two miscarriages in the process. Uh, And so instantly I go, okay, is this, you know, some sort of karma or, you know, part of whatever I experienced that was my choice you know what I mean like the the actions I did take part a part of whatever happened me taking ownership is it because of that is it because you know I didn't want to I was so scared of getting pregnant when I was with him the the pimp the abuser that I took all these day after pills did that mess me up you know you so you start to as a woman you start to run this gamut of this is the one thing I was made to do and I can't do it why is that 
And so it brings up a lot of issues well, no, <laughs> and me, a lot me, of questions. Me and my wife, uh, we've had troubles in the same same area of fertility. Um, she's, yeah, a year older than she's a year older than I am. But see, when I met her, she she looked at me and said, if we, if we do this, there's a good chance we may not be able to have children because it's just tough in my family, period. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. But see, my mother yeah. had taught me a lesson, and me and my mother don't agree on, on everything, especially now that I'm an adult. We don't agree on everything, but um, – <laughs> My lifestyle growing up was very chaotic. My 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 real father and mother had a very um, abusive relationship, um, and uh, I was older when my my father left. I was like five six years old. My brother was three or two at the time, but I remember I remembered him right. Mm -hmm. So when my stepfather came into my world, he was only fifteen years older than me. I mean, he was basically a kid himself, and my mother was seven eight years older than him. So yeah, yeah. So <laughs> dang girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, she taught. She had taught me a lesson. I kept imposing this on my wife. Like I said, listen, you know, I tried to make my mother choose. It's either my stepfather or me. And she she made made this one thing uh, very very clear. She goes, Christopher, you're going to grow up. I say Christopher. I go by Don Gringo, but I say Christopher. But she, you know, um, you're going to grow up, and you're you're meant to leave. And you're meant mm -hmm. to have a life of your own and kids of your own and whatever it's going to be. He said, but this is the man supposedly who wants to live and die with me after you're gone. So if you're asking me to choose, I'm going to choose the person who I'm meant to be with till my end while you're going to search for the person you're meant to be with till your end. And that's what I kept telling my wife throughout this whole process was, you know, I didn't marry you for children. I married you because I wanted to live my life and die with you. That's mm -hmm. my choice. Anytime you have a child, you're raising it to leave, hopefully to have a better life, but you're raising it to leave under better circumstances, you hope, mm -hmm. right? And then it's just you offer guidance once they're gone and they're either going to take it or they're not. And I was one of those kids when I was younger. I wasn't. <laughs> I was going to, I was headstrong, going to do it my way. I'm, I'm right. I finally got my freedom. I'm doing it. Uh, yeah. It doesn't always pan out that way, but um no. I get what you're saying, but I'm glad you found someone who's kind of a little bit more like me. It's not about children. It's about you. And that's what it's supposed yeah. to be about, right? And then as parents, you raise children to see them on their happy little way. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. So now let's look at how do I identify someone who may be a victim of human trafficking? How do you spark something? Is there any type of, I don't want to call them stereotypical, but is there any type of commonality and, and say signs that you can see that may indicate someone's having an, uh, an issue with human trafficking? Yeah, sure. So it's going to be super similar to anything, like I said before, that you see in an abusive relationship. But like, let's start with kids. So if, if a child's being sexually abused or sex trafficked, there is going to be what we what we teach teachers, teach teachers, whew, that's hard to say, is that um, if you have that problem child, if you have that child that's being aggressive or angry or sexually promiscuous, um, there's something going on there. To look below the surface of your troubled child in your class. The children aren't just automatically, I mean, kids are kind of assholes, let's be honest. They're selfish <laughs> little dudes. But, um, and I can say that because I worked for foster care, DCF as an anti-sex trafficking specialist for a while. So kids are like, they, they are rude, but um, I, I, there is no such thing as like a sixth grade grader girl who's sexually promiscuous. Like where the hell is that coming from? 
Like right. look beyond what the, the actions you're seeing in a child as like being a troubled child as being, you know, a bully or being mouthy or whatever, there's something going on and they don't know how to interpret it and they don't know how to get it out in a healthy way and ask for help. They know how to be angry. They know how to be sexually promiscuous. They know how to be all these other things. Um, but they, they might not have the tools to communicate what's happening. And so we would encourage everybody, if you see a child like that, look below, look deeper. There's something going on. If your gut says there's something not going on or something going on that's not right, you're probably right. Um, if your child is hiding their phone from you, if they want to keep their phone face down, there's tons of apps that allow to have secret photos and secret safes on your phone. There's tons of messaging apps that you don't have to communicate via text or through your you know, your normal channels that you would see in your phone bill. There's so many channels. But you can, um, that you kids can kind are, of, you can kind of put in parental controls on a phone though, right? Sure. Sure. Um, there's, I mean, <laughs> there's so like, there is a, a, three boys that were being sex trafficked through Fortnite. You met an older dude on Fortnite and he manipulated the boys to come meet him in a park and they were snatched up and they were trafficked. Wow. Fortunately, we were able to find them and get them to safe housing. But that's a reality on any of these games when you're interacting in live real time with people, other people. There's going to be predators on these apps because they know that's where kids are. And they know that there is a lot of money. If you can traffic a kid, there is so much money in how much you can sell that child for. It's insane. And they know this. Really? So if they can get some pornographic photos, they're going to do everything they can to get it. And they're going to be on Facebook. They're going to be on TikTok. They're going to be on all these games and all these apps that the kids are on because that's where the kids are, <laughs> you know, and they can pretend to be one. So I would say if your child, like, it, you have to have access to your child's phone. You have to be able to get into all the apps. If there is more than one calculator on their phone, we have a problem. They're hiding something because that calculator isn't a calculator. It's actually a safe. You put in the right code and it opens up in the vault for pictures for whatever. Really? So, I never, I never, yeah. never knew that. So calculator apps, look out for something. As There's no as reason that. a child should have more than one calculator on their phone. <laughs> I, I don't, I know. I mean, I just use the one that comes with the phone. Actually, no, I mean, right. as a businessman, I have a margin calculator that's also on my phone. So let me ask you a question because we see a lot of this in, in the media too. And a lot of this in Hollywood, how many actual children are snatched in the U S and then brought overseas or are more people actually trafficked domestically than abroad? It's easier to traffic them domestically. However, um, they will move them around on a regular basis. So this brings us to another sign you might see of trafficking is if you encounter someone who, you know, like you engage in conversation with them, maybe they look pretty disheveled. Um, they might be drugged or whatever, but they don't know where they are. They don't understand. They don't know what city they're in. They don't really know anything about the area at all um, and don't even know what city they're in. That might be someone being trafficked because they move their people by night, you know, or whenever they're not working, they move them to a different city so that they can't be tracked, right? Um, and so, like, thank God Craigslist got shut down because of this. Was it Craigslist? Yes. Craigslist. Craigslist. No. What's the other one? The ghetto one. The ghetto version of – what was it called? Oh, Lord, help me. Um, but I people think, are being think, No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I think I know what you're talking about. It was it's like right Craig, at the edge of my mind. It was like Craigslist. It wasn't a C. It was a B. Back page. Uh, back, yes, there you go. 
Yeah. So they found that you know children, men, and women but were being know, trafficked on that page. And 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 trying to prepare for this conversation, I didn't notice that their back page is back. It's not just back page anymore. It's something back page. It's always something back page. It's kind of back in its own its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. um, and trying to to look for stuff. It's like there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. <laughs> how how does the government? You help write legislation on this. How does the government actually try to to control this or, or stop this? So it's tough because you have to have free speech, um, but you have to be able to protect the innocent at the same time. Um, so this is where like FOSTA SESTA was a huge ordeal when they actually did charge Backpage and held Backpage and the CEOs accountable for the trafficking because they were receiving proceeds from people being trafficked on their site. So technically they were perpetuating sex trafficking and they did nothing to to protect or no safeguards or they didn't do anything, like literally nothing to prevent it. You know, there was nothing that red flag, you shouldn't be selling this. Like on Facebook, if you put up an animal on Facebook, a red flag goes up and says, no, we don't sell animals on Facebook. There was no sort of safeguards like that on Backpage. So you had children and women being sold constantly on there. So like a lot of people were against FOSTA SESTA because they felt like it was freedom of speech being, you know, violated. So it's, it's, it gets really murky because you want the government to have access to these information so they can get the bad guys. But I don't know how you feel about our government. They don't always necessarily collect data for the right reasons. Oh no, um, let's let's go so, back. Let's go back to the uh George George uh, Bush Jr. and Barack Obama where George Bush Jr. <laughs> instituted we're going to, after the Twin Towers, we're going to tap American phones and stuff like that because we have exactly. to find terrorist cells. And then it was going to come up and be done in Obama's administration. Obama's like, "Yeah, we're going to keep this going." Wait, wait, wait a minute. At what point do we need to continue monitoring our ourselves and and people who don't know and and mm-hmm. for no good reason? Uh, mm-hmm. And that that always bothered me. If you have a legitimate reason, like there's a legitimate suspicion, sure, but you should not have right. carte blanche, right? Should exactly. Not have carte and blanche. so there's always that toss up because at one point I don't want. I believe in small government. I don't want government telling me what I can and cannot do with my body. I don't want the government telling me what I can and cannot do with my property. Um, I should, but you know, I should. I shouldn't be allowed to hurt women, children, animals. I shouldn't be allowed to hurt anybody. So, like, how do you instigate that? So that being said, um, there's data that's collected constantly. There's FBI constantly surveilling. You know pedophiles, people who have shown yeah, but, these nefarious tendencies. Um, it's a but, lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But, I mean, if you had to put a yeah. percentage on it, like what's the percentage that the government can actually, you, know, you can't spend a hundred percent of the resources that uh, a police force, whether it's federal or, or mm-hmm. local or state gets a hundred percent can't go to human trafficking. So Right. It, it, what, what is, I'm not saying because you know everything, but I mean, you help write legislation. So how do you, how do you do it in a way that makes sense? I mean, because, I mean, there's probably only a percentage of every budget going towards this, right? There's only so mm-hmm. many law enforcement agents per fed, mm-hmm. per jurisdiction, per this, per that, actually on a task force and actually trying to do something. You've worked in this. So, 
is how how large or small in scale do you really think it is? And I know something's better than nothing, but right. but honestly, let's you write legislation. What what are we what are we talking about, and what can we do to make it better? I mean, the the first thing. Okay, so let's back up. I know in Florida there's been a huge push uh, towards ending sex trafficking because I've helped push it. <laughs> Um, but uh, I did write legislation that released federal funding to educate first responders on signs of trafficking and how to interact with what they think is a trafficking victim. How to identify them, how to interact with them, what services are available, what to do next if they find one. And so I spent a lot of my career educating brand new um, police recruits that would come in like that was part of their education was going over case studies with me about sex trafficking and teaching them. And so I've trained all the local police, which has been a blast. And we've traveled to do that as well. Um, it has, you have to have an advocate fighting for it. Otherwise it's not, you're not gonna get money. Um, I'm very aggressive and I'm very tenacious and I will knock on your door 25 times until you answer and give me the money to, to combat this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so but that's even with the money you're getting, even with the money you're getting, I mean, it, you're still talking. It's a very small percentage compared to what's out there. I mean, that's why I'm asking you. I mean, it's not like you're yeah. getting a hundred million dollars, and that hundred million dollars is a hundred percent of the budget, mm -hmm. right? That you would right. need in, to entail. So again, my, I guess my question is: is what is the currently what as you perceive it, the government doing now, and how much more needs to be done? There's been a huge uptick in it all, um, especially, and I don't, whether you like Trump or not, the administration has provided a ton of funding to combat trafficking, um, trafficking in general, not just sex trafficking, and in very pointedly child trafficking, so labor and sex. Um, I know that recently they just wrote it past the bill where the 150 million went to combat sex trafficking. So it went to all these different organizations. I'm sure in the bill, I didn't read it all, but there, you know, it went to help survivors, but it also went to educate, you know, do preventative work in schools, which is what I did too, um, and to educate our force. So I think now more than ever, people are more aware of the issue. They're talking about it. Um, you have those hot cases like Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, the Nixon uh, cult, you know, that are all coming up into light. And so when people hear about this stuff, they get into it, but it's a very hard issue to tackle because I think people think that it's so huge that there's no use in trying to tackle it. So it's so overwhelming that it doesn't feel like there's an answer. Um, I don't know if it's that. I, I kind of I look at this and go, it's it's so hard when I I mean I just started recently looking into it because I'm gonna have this conversation with you and hopefully this goes well and we get to do more and more and more of it, but it's so hard for me as a layman to tell the difference of who's a victim and who's doing it for themselves, like making that conscientious choice to yeah. do it. It's like how do you how do you know? I just, that's the part. I mean, it's like, and then you, like you pointed out, you have to get someone to admit that they're in that situation, which is the second part. So first you need to identify it. And then secondly, mm -hmm. you need to be able to, um, you know, get them to admit it. And then third and foremostly, which is something you had to go through, you have to go through a process that they're willing to accept 
to come out the other side because they went through fire right now. They're burnt coming out. And then you're asking them to go through another fire, like a cleansing fire, but they're going to get burnt all over again to literally come out and hopefully be whole. So basically mm -hmm. you're tearing half of them down and making them bad. They have to tear the, that part out. So they're tearing the other half down to, okay, we need to start over. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're asking someone to give up a lot. And that's why I say it starts with how do you identify that person? Because people doing it by choice, I feel if you're making a conscious choice because you profit better than you were, that's you. And you can find other opportunities because you looked for this. I mean, you, you obviously sat down, ran numbers and said, I would rather do this if you're making a conscientious choice. Right. I mean, seriously, mm -hmm. uh, instead of getting another job, instead of doing something else, I mean, you made a conscious choice. I'm not saying broke, living on the streets or something like that. I'm saying there's some people, let's face it, I mean, you are watching, and I'm not saying that they're sexually trafficking, but let's take a lot of these Instagram accounts with young girls and guys and taking all this, and that's where it starts in my mind, is you're already sexualizing yourself to a degree, right? So we, you're mm -hmm. already self-breaking down these barriers, but it's a cultural norm now. It's a problem. <laughs> it's, right, it's a cultural I mean, norm me, now. To me, there's, uh, there is no differentiator. It's just a certain level of breaking of the breakdown, right? So even if I see a girl, you know, on Instagram and she's showing her boobs and she's showing her butt and she's being super promiscuous and saying stuff about them, I mean, we automatically go, oh, honey, like you have daddy issues or like we automatically know something isn't right there. Whether or not we say, oh, something's wrong. It's not that. We go, oh, something, she got daddy issues or where's her <laughs> mother? Or you know what I mean? Right. We automatically go, that's not right. Whether or not we actually say it. Um, so my, my whole thing is, is it's just degrees. And so the, the sooner see, I can you're, intercept you're that person. It, you're looking at it from the wrong side. There's so many other people saying, oh, sweetheart, that's a beautiful thing that you did that twerking so good. And, you know, all of a sudden there's actually the opposite side, their friends and everybody they know is complimenting them on it. So, but, but then we go back to victim or abuser again, So which role are they filling? again though it's like but but it's subconscious because in someone's mind that's a cool thing right the people they may be listening to that's a cool thing they don't realize they're perpetuating something bad because again it's the whole thing of right and wrong where we started out i mean not mm -hmm. everybody's right and wrong is the same and i think that's one of the societal things that's changed over the last say 60 or so years is we've really come out of this um say since world war ii and Things have really, really changed um, uh, mm -hmm. socially. And I'm not saying some of it isn't for the better. The the women's equal rights and everything else, I totally get. I'm not saying that. So I want anyone mm -hmm. listening to this to say no. But the cultural identity for moral ethics has drastically changed. Right? I, agree. I mean, that's, that's really what we're looking at here is we're saying right. this is a cultural identity that has totally shifted from – what mm -hmm. is acceptable to what is not mm -hmm. acceptable. Right. So, but I also think part of it is, again, you know, you just can't turn it off either. Well, and technology has evolved so much quicker than humans have, right? So we're not capable, we're not capable of being responsible with this technology. In my opinion, technology has gotten to a point to where we are just so outgunned 
um, in our minds and our awareness, I believe, has not evolved fast enough to keep up with technology. And that's why we find ourselves in these situations where children are twerking on Instagram and getting, you know, predators or seeking them out or, you know, porn is getting, you know, where all these technological things are running our lives, essentially, and running our passions and emotions and mental health is all constantly assaulted by technology in one way or another. No, and kidding. I don't think us as a, as a society and us as a race has evolved and developed enough to keep up with it. So we don't have the tools to survive. Well, you know, I also I also think it's it's not so much that even more. I just think it's a matter of, um, you know, when we were younger, I'm not sure how old you are. I'm 42. But when we were younger, um, you know, you played outside, you knew your neighbors, you, you know, yeah. you, you kind of socialized in your community a little bit more than you do today. Right. And it's mm -hmm. so much easier to make things okay when you're looking at it through a screen. Right. And I think that's where it starts because you're no longer in interacting with people. You're interacting on a screen. And I think that's where it starts. So when you say gateway and you say porn, I mean, we're talking about the screen there. Th th I mean, they want that now. They want to experience that now, but it has to get to a certain point and they have to get it somewhere. And instead of them saying, um, like you point out, would, would this be okay? They're not asking themselves that question. They're just looking at it. They're just intaking the information, whether it's you know, good or bad. You're just intaking information. And all of a sudden, when you decide to act on something, you're acting on the wrong thing because you've taken in so much inter in information that there's no way to be normal. How We're so far re removed from consequences and from the humanity of it all. So that girl on that screen is no longer a human. She's a porn actress. She's a human. And I can you, see that. We, no, you I can know, see we've, that. Re we've removed ourselves from the consequences of consuming this content and interacting with this content and bullying, cyberbullying someone. There's no consequences for it. No one well, punches you, know, you in the mouth. <laughs> I don't. I don't do Facebook that much anymore. I just. I just post when I have to for like the show and stuff like that. I don't even really post personally anymore. And uh, mm -hmm. um, it just got to a point where everything was just so goddamn ridiculous. Um, it was crazy. And, and, and the most I could do with human interaction. And it's not that they didn't exist and they weren't human. It was just I got tired of saying, "Look at this goddamn idiot." You know mm -hmm. what I mean? To me, it was. It wasn't anything great. You know what I mean? It's like why. Why? And it, but a lot of people get caught up in that stupidity. And that's why I say that they make it okay. So the people doing Instagram, the people doing all this stuff, taking videos of themselves, they're getting complimented right away. There is no, as you say, downside until something becomes public. And then all of a sudden it's the worst thing. Well, you did this. You didn't make the right moral choice in the beginning. So. Well, let's do. Let's wrap it up here, um, Amanda. It's great to have you. I want you to stick around for a quick second because I think we need to do a round two and make it a little bit more poignant on a few more topics. I know you said um, we can get into the nitty gritty of, and I'm sure you want to because it doesn't look like you back down from anything. So um, <laughs> hold on one second, okay, Amanda? Thanks. <laughs> 